it's this understanding that, again, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it for the rest of your life. And it's this journey that your audience can then begin to model and then see that they can always find this opportunity in their own lives to level up what they're currently doing. And even better, level up their goals because so many people are thinking way too small. Here's the hard truth. People are conditioned to ignore your marketing message. Most of the stuff you'd create doesn't get read, doesn't get watched, and ultimately, nobody buys from it. I'm Jason Lynette, and I'm here to help you stop being the best kept secret to the people you know you can help. If you're a business owner, and if you're ready to cut through the overwhelm of launching something that creates massive impact and brings in an awesome income, you are in the right place. Welcome to Attract Pre-Sold Clients. I'm standing in my office, and I'm looking at my calendar, and it's packed. You should know that it's an amazing Technicolor rainbow, as my calendar items are color-coded based on the specific tasks. Private coaching sessions are a dark forest green, and administrative blocks to work on my business, not just in my business, those are a royal purple. And this week, it's solid dark forest green, because a recent marketing campaign successfully filled my business this week and next week. But next month, next month, it's a ghost town. It's completely empty. And I start to feel a sensation that's one part excitement to celebrate what I had done, though honestly, it was also another part panic. And the panic isn't just because next month is empty, though clearly that's a part of it. The panic is really there because my final client of the day, she's running late. And despite the appearance that business is going well, I needed to accommodate her late arrival because I needed her money. And on the phone, my wife is understanding as I call home to explain that I'm going to be later than planned. She clearly wants me to be home. I want to be home. That's what we wanted. We needed this client's money. Do, do you know that feeling where you know that you're capable of so much more and you're aware of what this entrepreneurial dream was supposed to be, and yet you hit that turning point, you hit that bottleneck where you realize your entrepreneurial dream has just become another job that you've become a slave to. I remember that day as if it was yesterday, even though at this point it was about 11, 12 years ago. It was a few years into my business. It was at my very first office, and that's the day... That was my turning point. I can, still, I can still see the ugly carpet on the floor that I wasn't allowed to change. And this one wall, you've probably done this before, this one wall that I blanketed with certificates and awards, the documents that had letters after my name to prove how qualified I was. When fast forward to now, I don't talk about my certifications or qualifications anymore. I talk about my experiences. I talk about what I've done. I've talked about what I've learned and what I've earned. And these days now, I'm Jason Lynette. I'm not Jason Lynette with a bunch of letters after my name. Because it was on that day that I became the identity of my business, not just another provider of a faceless commodity, not just someone who could have easily been swapped out and as it was that day, was nothing to that client to say, hey, I'm running late. And I could have stood my ground, but again, I needed her money. 
and I knew deeper down, I needed that moment to be the wake-up call of feeling my own desperation. While again, even on the surface, things appeared successful, it's through that desperation that I realized what I needed to learn. If I couldn't yet sell myself on how valuable my service was, no wonder I felt trapped charging a low amount. No wonder my clients felt, consciously or unconsciously, as if they could walk all over me. Which is where this week on Attract Pre-Sold Clients, you're going to get the complete story of how I more than 50 x my income. And yes, this is the third episode in our series, and yes, it is going to be my autobiography, my origin story, though can we take a moment and acknowledge that you likely downloaded this episode and you listened to it even faster because I didn't call it Jason Lynette's story. Instead, I titled it How I 50 x My Income. Isn't that interesting? How a different series of words, the right words in the right order, can activate action even better. Fascinating, isn't it? So here we go, How I 50 x My Income. Now, I believe in doing things a bit differently, and because of that, this sort of autobiographical episode is not going to be so much about what happened. Instead, it's going to be more about the meaning behind the events and the takeaways that come from these experiences. And hey, let's start with the end in mind. Here are some of the key takeaways that you're going to hear me leaning on as I tell you the story of, again, how I more than 50 x my income. First of all, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it for the rest of your life. And I know that this is something that at one point I kind of struggled with, that I felt as if I owed something to part of my journey, to maybe even part of my audience, when instead it kind of partners with this second takeaway, which is this old sentence that comes, of all places, from vaudeville theater. The amateur changes their act. The professional changes their audience. And no, this is not meant to sound as if, okay, let's leave the other crowd behind because we found a better one. No, it's instead by exemplifying that journey for the people that may follow what you do. It's this understanding that, again, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it for the rest of your life. And it's this journey that your audience can then begin to model and then see that they can always find this opportunity in their own lives to level up what they're currently doing. And even better, level up their goals because so many people are thinking way too small. This all is perfectly leading to the third takeaway. Elevate others to elevate yourself. If you find yourself consistently in the situation where you're the one leading the room, you're the smartest person in the room, I would often say it's a good sign you're in the wrong room and intentionally find opportunities to not just challenge yourself, but also to celebrate the wins of others. And this is like my one metaphysical woo-woo thing that I will get into, that as you celebrate the wins of others, you are informing that unconscious processing in your own mind that you are deserving of that too, and you can take the actions to also then make that happen. So, so far, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it the rest of your life. The amateur changes their act, the professional changes their audience, and yes, elevate others to elevate yourself. Those are the first three takeaways that I've put together because they're big sentences. 
The final four are just specific words. The first one, systems. And this is going to be one of those themes I really want you to listen for as I detail my story. And not just systems from a technological standpoint, but instead systems in the way that as you listen carefully, I did not take the next step of my journey until the previous steps were well-established, well-systematized, and I was able to then point my attention to a new project, which directly relates to the next takeaway, that of the word of curiosity. This fascination, this curiosity towards unpacking and unraveling the how and the why beneath everything that we do, as well as opening up that awareness to the world around you and keeping those ears open because as much as I talk about ethical influence and business and sales persuasion, the most influential language you could ever learn comes from actually keeping those ears open and listening to your audience, which directly relates to one of my favorite words, tenacity. It's that drive to make a decision and tell yourself, this is what I'm doing, I'm going to make it happen, and I'm going to figure it out along the way. And there's some very specific, tenacious moments along the way of this story. And finally, the other takeaway word, community. Because you're going to hear this in the story today, that you reach a certain point where you can get there pretty rapidly on your own, yet it's through the expansion that's possible with others. It's not that you can just go faster sometimes, it's that you also can go further. And if my friend Scott is listening to this episode, thank you. You clarified that beautifully. So that's kind of the overriding theme of where this is going. And I'd only throw in a quick sort of prelude to all of this with the word tenacity. And this may be the sort of superhero origin story moment in a roundabout way, which is that I come from a family where everybody was an entrepreneur. Everybody directly on my side of the family were self-made business people. And it wasn't just that I was used to hearing sales dialogue and business communication growing up. It's that I did not grow up with the story of most small businesses fail. I didn't grow up with the story of it's going to be slow your first year. I didn't grow up with the story of get the safety job just in case. My parents, one was a secretary for a food company, the other one was delivering uh, products for a plastics company, and they had the hobby of doing photography. And perfect timing, both of their employers caught on to the fact that they were launching their own separate business, and get this, they were given the ultimatum. You have to choose, and very clearly they left behind the careers to go off and do their own thing. So inside of this is this mindset that you can figure out the pathway to whatever it is you want to achieve if you keep that focus on what needs to happen and you cut out those stories as to why it couldn't happen, it shouldn't happen, or why it should be a challenge, which somehow makes me transition with the most awkward sentence I can say of when I was at Magic Camp. Yeah. Please keep listening. It's going to get better from here. But yeah, I did have a hobby of doing sleight of hand magic as a teenager. And I was actually quite good at it to the point that I, this is a thing, I competed in magic competitions and I won. And in some ways, I kind of paid my way through college doing like close-up sleight of hand magic at restaurants, doing corporate 
events and uh, different styles of performances, which I was kind of getting a little fed up with, a little bit jaded on, because so much of magic requires exposition. You know, if you could really do magic, you wouldn't have to carry on a pack of cards to show that you could, because real magic would probably not involve playing cards. If I could truly read your mind, I wouldn't need to have you write it down on a piece of paper, which, wink, has part to do with how the trick actually works. Sorry. Uh, yet, it's part of the procedure, yet as much as you could frame it, the real world of what magic would be didn't quite line up to what the performance could be, and I was getting fed up, and at this point, I was kind of being drawn in another direction. After college, going into a career in backstage production theater. Now, here's the correlation. Here's the, the takeaway connection inside of this, which was, again, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it the rest of your life. And similar to the magic side of things and the correlation over to backstage theater and production management is that, again, just like tenacity, there's always an explanation as to how something works. There's always an explanation as to how something happened. And it's through very specific actions and very specific steps, you can create extremely predictable outcomes. The, the takeaway that I had, I was a stage manager in theater, and I did everything from like backstage production to calling the shows to then occasionally working inside of like different, uh, you know, special events, which in the Washington DC area would have been everything from corporate product launches to political fundraisers, which is a whole other branch of entertainment, it turns out. Yet it comes around to replicatable systems and specificity of actions. The way that to sit in the rehearsal hall and listen to the actors, how saying the line this one way meant something entirely different. Saying the actor, saying the line this other way meant something very different than before. So it was this specificity, and even to watch how, you know, it was a, always a collaborative art in theater, that uh, the way that the designers, the lighting designers would work alongside the scenic designers, would work alongside the costume designers, the makeup design, and how all the details would come together in a very, very specific way. The part that even if theater, even if close-up sleight of hand magic is not part of your background, the thing to really take note of here is that of the importance of story. How stories educate, stories influence, stories inspire. And it's also that beautiful thing that a good story could mean something very different to the author. It means something very different to the author as opposed to what it might mean to the audience, which somehow makes me tell the quick anecdote of when I got a really low grade sometime in middle school because no, 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 Shakespeare wrote the play because of this, to which then I did the research to find that was not published anywhere. That was an opinion. It's poetry. And that means the audience is invited to pull out their own meaning. And my low score turned into 100. And that teacher was glad that I moved on to the next grade the following uh, month. <laughs> so the importance of story and how we can identify that everyone is coming into our world from a very different set of experiences, yet there's this universal ability to take one story and expand it out to an entire audience of people.
I, I think back to a quick anecdote of this one actor. His name was Ralph. And Ralph had played nearly every major role that could be played by a man in all of Shakespeare. He, he's the guy that one time when he had, we had an actor who was sick, like, someone call Ralph. He can do the role. And he shows up, wanders in, very unassuming, and just goes, okay, yeah, I did that role a couple of months ago. I've done it like seven or eight times. Just have the other actors move me around so I'm in the light. And one time doing the show because of a medical emergency, he nailed it. I tell you his quick story because there's something that he said that I'll never forget, that he has approached these classic plays so many times over his years. He was in his 80s the last time I was around him. He's still alive to this day. And he goes, every time I read it, I connect with a character in a different way. I'm a different person. The story remains the same, yet I perceive the story very differently every time I approach it. Now, I do have to call out the fact that this episode is called How I 50 x My Income, so it's about time I talk about money, right? And this is also the point that it's point, helpful to point out that nonprofit arts turns out to be pretty much nonprofit for everybody. And there was admittedly some burnout in that career. And it may have been aided by the fact that here came the big promotion, but because the big promotion was now a union job, I suddenly lost my insurance and my income dropped substantially at least the first year. It caught up and it's just mechanics of what has to happen with that kind of career. Meanwhile, I was already doing a motivational program for schools and even corporate audiences, getting on stage and doing an interactive program that yes, was in one part entertainment, yet really it was always designed to solve the problem that the audience was going through, through the filters of the clients who hired me. And by way of a creative presentation, getting people to interact with each other in an entertaining way while driving a mission statement, a core message, something that was important. You know, if it was a corporate audience, what are the themes of their company going into the next quarter? If it was a high school or even a college, fun fact, it was the same program, we just used different music. It was a matter of what were their students facing? What were the big issues of the day? And how can I creatively address it without, you know, beating the kids or the corporate people over the head with a message and going, this is what we're doing now. All the scenes in the uh, Mike Judge movie, Office Space, not that. <laughs> Instead, it was the formula we know from the Warner Brothers ca cartoons and Rocky and Bullwinkle, invite your audience to laugh, invite your audience to care so that now they will actually listen. So I already was picking up that this is what I wanted to do instead. And again, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it the rest of your life. I walked away from what was previously the job of my dreams to then take what I do and do it full time. So part of the takeaway there is again, back to this word tenacity, this tenacious ability to make the decision, this is what I'm doing now, I'm going to figure it out. And what I'm about to say, I will tell you very comfortably, is not a match for some of you out there. And side note to this, <laughs> the fact that what I'm about to say could possibly scare the hell out of some of you, it's your decision, might be the reason it's the number one thing you need to do. I went into my full-time career without a safety net. 
There was clearly a one-to-one coaching aspect of what I was doing. I decided to go in that direction. I left the job. I signed a big, scary three-year lease, and I went into it with the same energy I had that was the hobby of doing close-up sleight-of-hand magic. There's something here that I'm going to figure out. And I would say, and again, this might not be a fit for everybody, but again, the fact that it terrifies you might be the motivation you need. The opposite of this example would be the metaphor of trying to get a nine-year-old boy out of a swimming pool. I say, I say as I have a nine-year-old son. Oh, he's going to find everything else he can do to not get out of that swimming pool. <laughs> the same as if you're still in the pool, which is the old career, which you are fed up with, and there's this big dream where you know you can create a much more important impact, not just in your life, but in the lives of others, it is that leap, which I'm now realizing this metaphor is getting really weird, is now you're having to leap out of a swimming pool, which gravity has some implications to, but this is my story and not a lesson in physics. So there was this journey from motivational presentations to then one-to-one coaching. And kind of how this episode began, that I believe in doing things differently, that I would say as much as the modalities of change that I was using were effective and have a good science behind them, as much as I was confident in the techniques, it was more so, can I say, back to the old career, the theatric ability to create texture through experiences. What was said? What was done? I mean, turn on your television and notice how sometimes, especially in a dramatic show or even a movie, there's music that's underneath it. The camera may not be steady. And from a theatrical historical background, that's back to what's called melodrama. They're telling you how to feel by marinating the experience with music. So by not allowing my clients to come into the office and sit with me one-to-one and tell their entire life story and how difficult things have been up until now, I didn't let them do it because, no, it's not because I was a jerk who insisted on doing it my way. It's because instead, that's what they had already been doing for most of their life, and that's part of why they were in that problem still. So it was that interruption of expectations And challenging the way the work was traditionally done, that's probably part of the reason, look me up elsewhere online, there's more than a decade's history of the backstory of working with clients and running that business. And it's this transition that then helped the business begin to grow because I had a different perspective. I had a different way of looking at things curiosity. I was looking at the world through a different set of filters, even from the people that I had learned from. And it was only because of that that I then launched the education business, at least the first one. And I want you to take note of this. This maybe should have been one of the takeaways at the beginning. Everyone talks about SMART goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, timely, or trackable. And a friend of mine said that you don't need smart goals, you need smarty goals. You need to throw the letter Y at the end of it because it needs to be your goal. And without any ego behind the statement, I had other people telling me that I should be teaching, I should be training, and it wasn't yet my goal until I had defined 
what my specific perspective of the world was. And again, smarty, it's got to be your goal. Once it officially became my goal, I didn't just launch it. I mean, it exploded. I was filling training events. I was filling online programs. But again, systems. It wasn't until I had the ongoing maintenance of the private coaching business systematized, nearly automated in a way that if I ever needed to bring in clients, I knew exactly what to do without guessing. If there was ever a reason, as in one of our kids was being born, (laughs) I wanted to slow down business, I knew exactly how to do that too. Let that be a problem, by the way, that you want to have at some point. You know, some of you are out there going, I just need more clients. I just need more clients. And to then reach the place of this pivot, which is the, no, I need less. I need the right clients now, which is a big part of my backstory here. Yet again, that launching of the educational business did not happen until I had defined my own voice. I had my own specific experiences. I did not want to be a person at the front of the room telling someone else's stories. I didn't want to be a person offering a training event, simply repeating the things that I had learned from someone else without actually testing them for myself. I did not want to be the person training an event where I was just opening up someone else's textbook and saying, turn your books to page 27 and teaching from a place that did not have a basis of experience, which again, should not be a unique selling proposition, but it became one. And I'd credit, I believe this might be the opening chapter of Russell Brunson's Expert Secrets that in your audience, there are three different types of people you could speak to. There's the diehards who love what they do and they aren't going to change it. There's the satisfieds who are comfortable enough, yet it's not really a pain point to create a change. And then there's the frustrateds. And in that book, Russell would say, speak to the frustrateds. And it was because of the unique experiences I had with my private clients that it helped to establish a very different voice in a rather crowded industry, which is the reason why the educational business grew so quickly. I soon gave uh, the keynotes at nearly every major conference in my industry, put out uh, a book, uh, bestseller, and got invited to do all sorts of really cool things. But again, Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it the rest of your life. Systems and the amateur changes their act, the professional changes their audience. So the world that you are interacting with me inside of right now is actually a completely separate and distinct business from everything else I've been talking about so far. And this is perhaps a little bit of a diversion that's worth pointing out. I would tell you that was probably more of an emotional decision than it was a tactical decision. Yes, it simplified the email management. Yes, it simplified the technologies behind the scenes. Yes, it simplified who works for what company and who doesn't work for that other company. Yet it was really more of an emotional decision that the world you're inside of right now with me listening to this Attract Pre-Sold Clients podcast episode is one that is meant for a much more expansive audience than the one I was speaking to before, which I maintain that other audience. I'm still very active 
in that world. And this world was not built to be the sort of graduated level of the other business. It, it serves as that for those that it's a specific fit for. But then again, there are people who are meant to be specifically on the other side of my world. And this sounds like a lot to juggle, but again, systems. And one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in the last couple of years, I'm somebody who's always recognized that you can't be the superhero who does everything. The importance of outsourcing and bringing on others who can do specific tasks better than you can. So I'd always worked with like web designers and graphic designers, yet it was this real pivot to then hire others, not just for the sake of, you know, behind the scenes sort of, you know, graphic stuff, but instead other people to be another face within the business of what I do. Because remember back when you elevate others, that's how you elevate yourself. And to credit a friend, again, it's not that you can get there faster, you can go further with other people. And it's this attitude now of how, as a lot of what we do now is a consulting service where there's a one-to-one -one journey, there's support inside of a group mechanism. Uh, it's a bit of a hybrid approach of how we work with our private clients. It's this willingness that I had to have. And I'd say this is really the development in the last three to four years, that if I could teach what I do so well that you could do it too, it should also mean that I should have the skill set to educate someone else how to also teach what I do and still maintain myself as a very active part in the experience of our clients. Yet, it also opened up this sort of pivot to then realize that I can hire people who can do what I do. And also I can hire people who may do specific elements of what I do rather well, but they actually do it just that little bit better. And the opportunity to have those people on my team to not just serve you, but also to help me to continue to challenge myself and improve along the way. So can we take a quick moment and celebrate how an episode about how I 50X my income was not necessarily the story as to how I changed my entry-level pricing from $350 at one point to $950 to then $975 because that actually sold better, which is silly, but it did, to then nowadays, you know, it's in the premium, a little bit more boutique concierge level service of things. It's that as we focus on creating impact, it's that as we focus on elevation, as we focus on sometimes not just the beliefs of our audience, but also the beliefs that we hold on to and the things that we would convince ourselves, this is the only way to do things. That's that bigger journey that has to occur from sitting backstage, sitting backstage and waiting for intermission. So then we could reset the stage for act two. I was backstage reading books learning how to get better at what I did. Luckily, or this may sound a little cynical, <laughs> luckily, as I left the theater career, the trending thing, what was then deemed an actor-driven play, which is a fancy way of saying the actors push around the scenery and do the scene changes, which means the technicians didn't have to go on stage, which meant I was backstage for three hours, sometimes playing darts, true story, uh, sometimes playing Nintendo, or once I keyed in to go, wait, this is valuable time to read books, 
to go through coaching programs of my own and improve myself along the way. Back to the origin of the hobby of doing magic, realizing that everything can be figured out if you look at it from the right angles. And from the mindset of tenacity, realizing some of the you know, more impressive things that might show up in a shorter resume or bio of mine on the web, recognizing that the audience that I speak to these days is one that found it important that you be a published author. So I didn't just become a published author. I took the necessary actions to land a Amazon best-selling number one book. That the things that were important to my audience were to be a speaker with authority. So I went out of my way to figure out exactly how and then do a TED Talk. To realize that it was so important to see that the business owner actually had a successful business of their own before they started teaching. And I made it a point, one of the markers for that in some cultures, the ClickFunnels 2 Comic Club Award, and strategically taking the actions to do that and actually still have it be profitable, not just to lose it all in ad spend. <laughs> Yet this mindset of systems and community, it's by looking at what you do. And if I can say it, my real mission of recording this episode here is that so many of you are thinking way too small and how you're only just a few little steps, a few little tweaks, a few little influential phrases away from speaking about what you do in a way that gathers an audience in such a massive, massive way that has people already nodding their heads saying, I want more, has people already deciding they want to go further with you. And can we take a quick moment and also acknowledge something I've been intentionally doing, which is it doesn't even matter what specific modalities or what specific methods I was using. I've strategically told the story in a way back to good poetry, back to a good play, a good song, a good piece of art, the way that actually the story, other than card tricks, perhaps, could have been the story of many of you. So if you're looking at where you are right now and you're a bit frustrated in terms of not quite being exactly where you want to be, remember systems, remember tenacity, remember community. And above all, remember curiosity. As you activate curiosity within yourself, that's where you can let things grow in a substantial way. And as you activate curiosity within others, that is how you attract pre-sold clients. Thank you for listening to Attract Pre-sold Clients, where you get strategies proven to work in businesses around the world. I'm Jason Lynette. And if you're ready to crush the confusion of what to say and how to say it to consistently attract your dream clients, check out our free resources today at attractpresoldclients.com.